0: Hello, and welcome to Stuff TV. I'm your host, Nick Huzar. I'm also the co-founder of OfferUp, and I've had a front row seat to uh, secondhand transactions for over a decade now. And I've seen billions of dollars worth of secondhand goods exchange hands. And I started thinking quite a bit about my own existence and how it impacts the planet. found it really hard to find that uh, on the Internet. And so I started this, uh, this podcast and really looking to connect with thought leaders to help enlighten us around all things stuff. And so I'm really excited today to have Jeremy Lott from Sandmar to talk to us. And uh, Sandmar is one of the largest uh, wholesale apparel manufacturers in the US. And I know you're working with uh, brands like Carhartt and Nike and the North Face. So uh, I think I think you're gonna have some really interesting perspectives on clothing in general, just given the size and scale of your business. So thanks for giving me uh, a little bit of your time. And uh, with that, I'd love to just hand it over to you and just maybe just starting off a Kind of a, a history of your business
1: yeah thanks Nick thanks for having me I appreciate uh, the
0: opportunity so
1: Sanmar was founded in nineteen seventy one by my dad he um, didn't didn't necessarily have a vision of creating the company today he was um, uh, he was screen printing shirts. He was doing that for a short period of time. He got the biggest order he'd ever gotten. It was for a 1,000 T-shirts for the Seattle Supersonics.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, and
1: he Are they called... coming back,
0: by the way? I hope they are. I
1: hope you're right. I hope you're <laughs> right. Um, and he called, at the time, the largest supplier of T-shirts in the country. It was a dry goods wholesaler based in New York. They sent him shirts. Uh, some were some were fruit of the loom, some were hundred percent cotton, some were 50, 50. And he called them up and he said, this isn't what I ordered. And they said, you're a COD customer. Uh, You have your shirts, the deal, you know, we have your money. The deal is done and hung up on him. And he went home and he was mad and talked to my mom and my mom said, well, if they're the biggest, why don't you go compete with them? And so he said, All right. Well, that's a good idea. And he kind of came up with this idea if he could be nice and tell the truth (laughs) that he could build a business based on, on those principles. And so really Sanmar started 50 years ago with this idea of be nice and tell the truth. And those are kind of our founding values that we, uh, that we live by today.
0: Yeah. And, and so was he like literally screen printing in a garage kind of to start?
1: He was literally screen printing in the basement of my grandparents. My grandparents had a building that they owned. It's kind of a long story, but he was um, in the basement of their building. Um, Yeah, screen printing. And this was a, you know, really small business. You know, today we have 5,500 employees across the United States. We have manufacturing in uh, over 20 countries. We're in. 110 factories around the world. Some that we source from, some that we own. We have about close to 20,000 employees in Central wow. America through our manufacturing joint venture. So it's it's certainly grown a lot from um, you know my grandparents' basement really uh, <laughs> to the company it is
0: today. Wow, it's yeah, that's that's crazy scale. One one thing I like to always share when I when I start these is what is kind of the impact of, of the topic we're talking about in terms of just carbon. And I think you and I have talked about it's such a complicated topic to really think about. And I know your company is doing some really interesting things to think about what you what you can control. But I think when you look at overall CO2 emissions globally, about 10 percent of the 50 billion tons comes from a clothing of some type. So it's a very sizable you know category. And I think clothing's also probably changed a lot over the years. I don't you know if you have any perspectives on that mm. you know was your dad just printing pretty much on a hundred percent cotton and now they are just so many other fabrics and things that are woven in right? sure I mean certainly there's been a lot of technology
1: uh, brought to the apparel industry in terms of manufacturing in terms of the types of fabrics and and complexity of fabrics, but at the end of the day, it's actually compared I think to other industries, has not nearly evolved as much as many other manufacturing. You are uh, either taking natural fibers like cotton or man-made fibers like polyester. You are knitting them on a knitting machine. Those machines have gotten bigger and faster over the time, but um, they're not that, it's still the same basic process that we were making clothing with 200 years ago. that fabric is then um, dyed and finished using uh, a lot of water and heat and dyes. Uh, that finished fabric is then cut and sewn on a sewing machine. And, and so, again, like the, the basics of that part of the industry hasn't changed all that much, even though there certainly has been advances. I would say, you know, certainly the scale of the manufacturing and the desire for clothing and more clothing and fashion clothing and all of that has changed Mm -hmm. um, significantly. But it is certainly a energy intensive industry, especially in that textile knitting and dyeing and kind of finishing process.
0: Mm -hmm. Maybe it would be helpful. Can you kind of walk us through kind of the end to end Experience because what I appreciated when we when we caught up earlier was just the the so many partners and supply chains you have to bring together and so yeah. where, where does your company sit in that just maybe just kind of take us on that journey
1: yeah so we do a few things organizationally we mostly sell. Uh, apparel to people who put logos on it for uniforms, for school, for corporate swag, for team uniforms, for anything you can imagine with a logo that's not just the brand. Um, and then we we manufacture or source that product, or we serve as a distribution partner for brands like Nike and the Carhartt that want to participate in the corporate market. So we have warehouses across the country and across the United States and Canada where we warehouse product, um, and we sell to small I call them light manufacturers, but these are screen printers, embroiders, promotional products companies who are putting a logo on it and then reselling it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the main core of the Sanmar business. uh, From a sourcing perspective, we have design and merchandising, um, quality control, product development, and we're sourcing from factories around the world and partners in our own manufacturing. We, we have a joint venture in, in Honduras, um, and we have manufacturing actually in Tennessee, where we are buying yarn, uh, and we are doing the the knitting, dyeing, finishing, and and bringing T-shirts to the United States. I I was sharing I was with somebody recently, and I had uh, I'd stopped at Starbucks, and I'd had like my now really expensive six dollar or whatever cost today, <laughs> like almond milk latte. Like, in my hand. Like, yeah,
0: the grande almond yeah. milk yeah. frapp. Yeah, yeah,
1: and I was like. You know, when you when you think about and I'll talk about a T-shirt just because it's the most basic apparel and probably the largest scale, maybe underwear and socks. There's a few others that are up there, but but T-shirts are certainly right up with the largest scale of what we produce. Um, we grow cotton in the United States, mostly from West Texas through the southeast. Um, that cotton is then taken to uh, by farmers to uh, to gins and to spinning factories in the United, mostly in the United States, although some in Central America, where we, uh, if you think about cotton, if you've ever seen it in the field, um, to turn that into yarn is a process of really sp- it's more complex than this. But basically, it's spin it's twisting and lengthening yeah. that fiber. How and, has that and- changed, you know, since the early days of the cotton gin? not too dramatically. I mean, the idea of twisting and pulling to add add strength to it is really the same. There's different types of of spinning today. There's different blends of fibers. You can have tri-blends. You can have, you know, um, you're adding where you might have polyester and rayon in your blends. There's something called open-end spinning, which is a different type of spinning that doesn't twist, but um, is less expensive. So there's, there's been some, but, but, the majority of t-shirts around the world are made with what we call ring spun cotton. And it's truly just spinning and twisting and lengthening this natural fiber Mm -hmm. that happens at least with mostly what we buy in the Southeast United States. That, that, that yarn is then sent to Honduras where we knit it and we knit it in these giant tubular, mostly body width, knitting machines. So we're knitting medium body width or large body width in different machines, and it's knit in a tube. Um, We then take that knitted fabric and we dye it. We dye it in 3,000 pound, could be smaller than that, but up to 3,000 pound washing machines. Think of that. Um, Fabric has a polarity to it. And so does dye. And so to make the dye attracted to the uh, fabric, you have to add salt. Um, now, of course, the problem with adding salt is when you have this wastewater, salt kills
0: kind of everything. So mm-hmm. it, can you use salt water considered in Honduras?
1: We don't. You know, you you really that's not uh, you really have to use clean fresh water. Okay. You're adding salt in this bath. Um it's a, it's it's uh dyed at very high temperature, which is very energy and steam kind of intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, then once you have this uh dyed fabric you cut it into parts a sleeve a body panel uh, you know etc and you sew it in sewing machines and you tend to we sew mostly linearly so we have a line of people and somebody's job is the left sleeve somebody else's job is the right sleeve and that's what your job is okay um until you have a shirt those shirts going on a truck uh, to the port where they go to boat, let's say to Miami, where we have a
0: cross-dock facility
1: in Jacksonville, Florida. At, at,
0: right. this point, at this point, are they just, they're just a regular T-shirt? Are there logos it's and everything? It's no. a
1: basic T-shirt. It's okay. black, white, red. It's sitting in a box of like, okay. 72 other T-shirts. It's a cross-dock facility, and then it's trucked or railed across the country to one of our distribution centers. And I sell that shirt for, let's say, $2 today. And so I compare that to my $6 almond milk latte and think, well, here's this really actually a nice shirt that you can wear for a long time at at $2. And I just bought this, you know, latte for six. Um, I'm not sure there's a supply chain for any product in the world that's as efficient um, at producing a product as we are at producing apparel today. So it's pretty amazing, actually, given what we talked about. the, The main process hasn't changed. The main things we do, but here we are and we can actually make a shirt that that, that I can sell for $2 or $2.20. It depends on, you know, price of cotton and everything else. But it's pretty amazing the way that supply chain um,
0: works. From end to end. Yeah, And the various kind of layers in between. Because you, because even when the t-shirt gets here, you are then, somebody is buying that from you, Nike, Carhartt, and then then they have their own journey that they then go on, right?
1: Well, so let's say that, let's say um, OfferUp wants to give t-shirts to all their
0: staff to celebrate a milestone. We have a lot of those, by the way. Okay, well, good. We appreciate it. (laughs) I'm sure there's a bunch of those are from you. So
1: you're buying those from one of our
0: customers.
1: that customer is buying the shirts because they're sitting in my warehouse today and they're either decorating themselves, screen printing, embroidery. There's lots of different decoration techniques or they're outsourcing that to a third party who does the decoration and then sends it to that end user. So everything we sell is blank and everything we sell gets a logo. Whether again, it's your kid's soccer team or it could be your company logo or you're um, running in a fun run and you're the, you know, the, St. Patrick's Day 5K, you know, and everyone gets a T-shirt. Those T-shirts were in our warehouse, you know.
0: Today they're getting decorated for St. Patrick's Day. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Uh, that makes that makes a a ton of sense how that works. And, and would you say you're, you're primarily focused on T-shirts because you sell other products too, or is T-shirts kind of your your staple?
1: Uh, t-shirts are the largest volume item that we sell, and but we sell sweatshirts we sell jackets we sell hats we sell bags we sell towels uh, okay. polo shirts any really apparel items you know pants that that we do so um you know i'm wearing a, a nice woven shirt today we made this product but but t-shirts are the
0: largest uh unit at least seller that we the product that we sell yeah Well, what do you think about, you know, again, just now that you it was helpful to kind of dissect that process because you can see where there's all this, you know, it goes on planes and boats and cars, you get energy, like all that has some element of CO2 output. And I know you've thought a lot about over the years, like where are there opportunities to potentially, you know, be more sustainable? And I think you shared a few ideas. Like what are some of the things you're already thinking about?
1: Yeah. I mean, so I think one of the things to, that we, First came to mind. So, we committed to science based targets for carbon reduction as a company. So, that's the way we
0: uh,
1: it helped us structure the way we wanted to think about it and actually set real goals for us organizationally. Um, but when we think about Sandmar in the United States, we think about an office building, we think about warehouses, and we think about some transportation. But that's not really where uh, the majority of the energy. That is used, it's really used in our tier one and tier two kind of supply chain and really in that manufacturing. And so that's where the majority of our energy, energy, our I mean, like focus is going to be in terms of like as we think about carbon. Because there's things we can do in our warehouses, we can put solar on our roof, there's things we can do to be um in the way that we ship products. But at the end of the day, if we really want to make a real impact, it's got to be in our supply chain and manufacturing. Um, and and when we dive into even further, if you take the first level of supply chain, it's what we call garment manufacturing, and garment manufacturing happens around the world, and it's really cutting and sewing of fabric, and and so it is not a huge energy user in the process. Yeah, um, there's things certainly that you can do to be more sustainable within garment manufacturing, um, but but it's not where you make the real impact you have to go back to like that kind of tier two, which is the textile production. And I talked about knitting and dyeing and finishing. That's where the biggest energy usage is. And that's also the biggest opportunity because when I talked about the supply chain um, and how kind of amazing it was to deliver at scale, it it is a, for us, a a true like pennies business. Um, You know, we make nice money when we sell you an expensive woven shirt. You know, we make pennies when we sell every T-shirt. And so we think about how we can be really, really efficient in that manufacturing. Um, but we think about sustainability really as a um, not just the right thing to do, but also a tool that we can drive efficiencies in that supply chain. So I'll give mm-hmm. you a couple of examples. Um, you know, the more um, if I have to... Um, when I dye fabric, I dye it in these giant washing machines. They're these kind of, they call them dye vats. Um, if I can plan better, I can use the, and I can put black t-shirts into the same dye vat I just pulled out black t-shirts from. I can keep that same water in there and reuse that vat. Mm-hmm. If I I black t-shirts and then I dye pink t-shirts. I have to drain that water, clean the dye. You just out. make them make them purple, right? <laughs> Put new water in, yeah. and do it. When I do that, I have to treat that water, and it, which is an expensive process for
0: us. Clean the whole Remember, thing all the, you, you have to clean the whole tank all the way out, and
1: then not only it's cleaning the tank though, but the 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 water that was in the tank has to go into water treatment facilities because I mm-hmm. can't let that out into the ocean or the streams because it has all of this dye and has all this salt in it. And the salt especially will kill everything. Yeah. And so we, so that water has to be treated before it can be released. So that's an, again, an expensive process. So that's just an example of how can we plan that can do different things. Um, can we use less water? Can we use less salt? Um, you know, we in in a country like Honduras, for instance, we don't, plug into the grid to, you know, purchase energy. We operate in industrial parks where we generate energy. So energy is expensive. Um, And especially if we want to use sustainable energy, it's expensive. So how do we, um, how do we use less energy in our process? That also saves us pennies, you know? And so there's a lot of work that we do as a, as a manufacturing organization to feel like, how do we really drive down, cost in that process, but we think the more sustainable we are, the better job we can do at doing that. Yeah, you know, We have the largest on-roof solar installation in Central America. And well, that's great when, you know, that may not pencil in if you had this factory in the United States where you could buy energy, let's say for four or five cents a kilowatt hour. But for us, we're buying much more expensive energy. It could be as high as 15 mm-hmm. to 20 cents a kilowatt hour. So it is know, wind an I,
0: option? Cause you know, I'm, I'm going next week by the way to Honduras. That's my kite surfing trip. Yeah. I think we're, we're going there to capitalize on the wind there. Yeah. It's interesting. Like possibly
1: offshore wind. I don't know about like in the city, you don't okay. see like, it's not like, um, significant. Um, there's not really, but, but possibly offshore wind kind of over time we've worked on biomass a lot. So, um, we have a fact, we have a, 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 it's actually pretty cool. So we grow a grass called king grass. Now we we lost a bunch of our crop in the hurricanes that came through Honduras last year and we haven't been able to recover from that. So, yeah. uh, uh, but the idea was you could grow a grass like king grass. King um, grass gets mulched and the, the, the liquid goes into these anaerobic digesters they're these giant tanks. And when you add like a bacteria to it, it releases methane gas that then you burn in an engine
0: yes. solid
1: gets burned in kind of a boiler and what's left kind of goes back to the fields for fertilizer. Um, and so we've been able to use like biomass as opposed to, you know, when we started there, those factories were all run with, uh, HFO, which is uh, bunker fuel, which is really a relatively yeah. dirty petroleum product. You yeah. Know? So, um, you know, we're, we're we're working hard to shift to a uh, more sustainable energy model there. But anything we do that can save energy and can save costs yeah. is a
0: huge win for us. Yeah, I, I I always have a pretty sober view overall when it comes to climate. I think it has to either save people time or be cost neutral or better. But it does seem, my view now more than ever, is that they're just, they're just so much more innovation than there was even 30 years ago. So you can revisit a lot of these things, and go, hey, does this make sense? And it's it's cool to hear how you're exploring all these different avenues to see what may work.
1: It's it is. Um, there's a lot of energy around it. It's hard because you're operating. I mean, one of the things that you have to know about apparel, whether it's uh, Honduras or Vietnam or Bangladesh or you know, pick your large apparel producing country, is you're operating under developing in a developing country. And yeah, so, you don't have uh, nearly
0: the infrastructure we do in the U.S. to support your business. Yeah. So when
1: we think about things like like power generation in Bangladesh, it's just a really complicated issue. And so, you know, what can we do to innovate around fabrics? I'll give you another example of something cool that we're working on. So um, polyester actually has to be dyed at, like, higher pressure to get the color to go into the yarns. There's a technology. It's been around for a long time. Actually, they use it in things like carpets. It's called dope dyeing, where instead of um, polyester is not not obviously not a natural fiber. You you take a chip. It's like a, a little plastic chip, and you extrude yarn using heat and gravity kind of out of it. Um, and so you have this extruded fiber, and then you're dyeing it similarly, but you have to dye it at a higher pressure because it. Takes more pressure to get the dye into the mm-hmm. into the yarn. If you can um, if you can pre-dye the chip, then once it's extruded, you don't have to dye it at all. You just knit it, and and the amount of energy that goes into a we call them pre-colored yarns is significantly less uh, in adding color to the chip. And they make these like master batches, they call them, um, that they kind of take the chip out of. Oh. It's, it's complicated because designers like to pick color and they like to play with color and they like to say, oh, can you make that two shades darker, <laughs> juicy, is lighter. yeah That's easy to do in dyeing. It's really hard to do in master batch coloring of pre-colored chip. But if you can do that, there's a gigantic energy savings by extruding the colored yarn and then just dyeing it. So mm. there is innovation happening and that's happening around the world. I mean, they're doing that in Asia. They're doing it in this hemisphere. So there, there are some really cool things that are happening and I'm with you like where I think a business imperative and a cost imperative lines up with things that are good for the world that's where you make real good progress really fast when those things are like opposing each other it's much harder that's Um, right when they're kind of uh, for you know the same way we can we can run really fast and so I think that's where my focus is like what are the things that like we can do that save us money that are good too because let's and we're willing to put real money behind that and invest. In
0: and that. it's good for business. Yeah. One of the things you said earlier, it me of, I used to have a, a partnership with a company in India and there was literally weeks where they just couldn't support us because their whole, their whole grid was down. Yeah. Like they just weren't on the internet. Right. Uh, so that's clearly challenging because if you have different infrastructure, you can capitalize on that and make more efficiencies. But if you have something that's fragile, you have to grow your own crops to create great methane, like creative things that you're exploring.
1: There are, when you start working in in developing countries, you start to understand the scope of the challenges of living there and of doing business because there are political instabilities, you know, they're all different throughout the world, but that lead to levels of uninvestment and underinvestment in infrastructure and whether that's roads or ports or power, um, security, those things lead to underinvestment from like foreign investment and anyway, and on and on. And, and it's, it is, um, it's just it's really really challenging, and so you have to have people who are, who are dedicated and engaged in a region and in a country and aren't you know, um, and that's why you know for Sanmar being in Honduras and our joint venture with a we're with a local family, wonderful family business that's been there, that's on the ground, that's like because it's not for the faint of heart to go make real investments in,
0: in developing countries. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, I see that. Well, I think, what is your view on, you know, we've talked about the, the things you're doing around sustainability. How do you feel overall, like, you know, as a, kind of an industry, do you feel like a lot of people are thinking about it this way? Because the one company we talked about before was Sheen, which everybody yeah. knows about, this fast fashion, which is kind of the opposite of what we're talking about. They are, right. you know, it's, it's stuff that just doesn't last very long. So I guess that's really the question of, yeah, you know, how, how do you think about kind of the macro landscape? Is it changing, Is it changing fast enough? Like, what are your views? You know,
1: I, I,
0: um, our one
1: of the things that's a little different about our business because everything we we sell gets a logo, and it represents an organization or a company or a team, or somebody else. So as soon as uh, you know, I'm here in Seattle, right? So pick a good Seattle company, you know, Starbucks coffee. Soon as a shirt leaves my warehouse, it gets a Starbucks logo on it. It's not a Sandmar shirt anymore. It's now a Starbucks shirt. Yeah. And and whether I care about the environment or not, almost irrelevant, Starbucks cares. And they have climate commitments and things that are important to them. And so we think it's a imperative to our business, a business imperative, that we continue to move down this continuum and it's not, it's a journey of making our products more sustainable. So that when that buyer from Starbucks says, well, you know, I have commitment to communicate. I say, great. Well, I have our C-free product, which is a carbon neutral shirt. And here's why it's, it's recycled. Here's the offsets that we bought. Here's the other things we've done to make this product um, carbon neutral. You should feel good about putting this on your associates in your store, Starbucks. And um, um, that's so, so we believe it's a business imperative. I think that I do think as an industry, um there there's there are a lot of brands especially in the United States that that believe strongly in sustainability and are driving that into their supply chain and they you know I, I certainly can speak to the brands we work with whether it's Nike or Carhartt mm-hmm. or the North Face you know those brands are are incredibly active in pushing their manufacturing and their and their sourcing to be more sustainable so i think would, would you say that's, that's more bit,
0: recent would you say i mean was that like the last five years it's been far more aggressive or was it, it yes you know. i
1: think it's certainly yeah. accelerated over the last five years you know i think that um i think that there was a time where we thought there was like green product and there was not green product and you were like oh if i make a you know organic t-shirt, that's green. Or if I make a jacket with recycled polyester, like that's green. And then I'll have my dirty product over here. And I think the world, at least at Sam, are to say like that that whole distinction is bad. It's like, how do we think about the entire
0: supply chain and we just- The entire thing. Yeah. I think there's a lot of products that say they're sustainable and green that really are like, they're not, right? Like either, you know, either it's somewhere in the supply chain where it wasn't, or it's a product you really can't recycle in the end anyhow.
1: So for sure, and let's see. And I, I I don't sell shoes, so I don't know a lot about shoes. But let's just I'm going to give you a shoe example. Like you could say, well, well, here's our sustainable shoe, and here's our regular shoe. And Nike sells billions of these regular shoes. Like if you really want to make an impact, it's how do you move this that regular shoe from being one percent recycled components to ten percent recycled components? Like those are the things that can make actually real differences. And so I, I think brands. And I'm kinda of, that's I'm making that up, but but like that's a um I think brands are moving holistically towards this. So I think that's a trend, and that's an important trend and one that I think is real. I think at the same time, and you Matt mentioned Sheen, you have um, you know, fast fashion is is um it's gotten faster. Yeah, uh, it's gotten bigger as a percentage we wear. It is um they do an amazing job of seeing trends, developing product really quickly that follows that, um, producing it at an exceptionally low cost, and and making that product almost disposable
0: mm-hmm. because it was so
1: inexpensive. And I think that is also a trend that's there that is the opposite of what great brands, I think, like the North Face and Nike are, yeah. are, are trying to do, but that's real in the world today. One of the things I, I, I think I shared this with you is I have a belief too, that like if you're investing um, the most sustainable apparel product you can wear is one that you keep for 10 years. Mm-hmm. I don't care how it was made. If you wear it once and throw it away, it wasn't sustainable. So, you know, how do you invest in quality and, and quality pieces that you can have over time that are going to wash and wear lots of times? Like that is the, the best choice that I think you can make as a consumer. I think almost more so than like, Hey, this was made with an organic cotton or this is made with whatever, you know, where, yeah. like pick things that you're going to keep for a decade because they're classic pieces and they're built well. Like that is, um, that's a really smart choice to make if you care
0: about sustainability. Yeah. I think I shared that with you. I had this shirt for 28 years. It's like a yeah. banana Republic and the zipper broke. And the guy, yeah. the cleaner was like, oh, it's going to be too expensive. You should get another shirt. I said, no, <laughs> just charge me $50 or replace the zipper or whatever. And I think I paid more for the zipper than I did the original shirt, but I wear it all the time. It's just a classic shirt and, and yeah. I love it. But I, I do think the, the it, it wouldn't be that bad. Like Sheen wouldn't be that bad if there wasn't a whole bunch of carbon associated with actually making the product. And then it would, in addition, if you could actually dispose of it in a way and reuse that. And I think that's the other challenge. And I know you had shared a little bit around this before, like what happens, or maybe it's just getting more efficient in terms of how you're cutting some of your products and just reusing that scrap, right?
1: Well, we've done, we've done some really cool innovation around pre-consumer waste. And so if you can imagine, again, I go back to my factory floor where I'm cutting product um, and I have, I have waste there that um, is really scraps of the t-shirt. We've been able to take those scraps and turn them into new t-shirts again, which is a really cool thing because um, that new t-shirt doesn't have to be dyed. So all of the most energy intensive, the textile piece of, of creating it with the dye doesn't happen with that new shirt. Yeah, so That's like, we call it the re but we've had a few different ones that we launched with this technology. We're getting ready to launch a new shirt that's actually with wastage from the, um, spinning process. So it's literally like a, even further back. And it's like, how do you take, you know, you have this cotton, how you take every single little piece of that and use it in in an effective way. Mm -hmm. So that's a really neat product that we're working on. But it doesn't solve, I think the biggest challenge, which is kind of that end of life circularity. And that's kind of the Holy grail. I think for us, it's like, how do you take that shirt that you've had for 20 years that maybe you you, you yeah. can't wear anymore because it's just worn out or you know you gain 10 pounds you lost 10 <laughs> pounds, you know it is. like yeah and and what do we do with it and and um there's certainly interesting things i mean there are people um working on technologies to take products and turn it back into fiber um it's complicated because when you talk about apparel there's um there's there can be blends that you know not every shirt is the same um, yeah. blend of cotton. You to extract all
0: the, all the different, different things out and yeah, isolate.
1: Green print on it, it has embroidery on it. It has like, so that's hard, but there's smart people working on it.
0: I would say we're not there yet, at least in terms of that being at scale. Yeah. But it seems like they, they're like, I see, I see a lot of this, like they're exploring a little bits, but they have a hard, hard time getting into the supply chain.
1: Yes. Well, and I think like, you know, um, it's absolutely, it's, Again, like when I talk to the Nikes of the world, like they're very interested in that space and how to support some of these entrepreneurs who are trying to figure it out. So it, it will get there, but we're not there yet. And then how do you collect the product? What, I was going to say, the, you think know.
0: of how many, think of all the closets that are sitting around us right now. Yeah. That are full of tons of t shirt just tons of clothing that no one uses. And what do you do with it? I mean, for yeah. us, a lot of times, we will go give it to just simply give it to Goodwill. We'll post some things and offer up like ski gear and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, for, for some things, we just don't know what to do with them. Um, well, and that's a challenge.
1: These, these things are complicated. So I was involved a few years ago. So what I, what I learned, I didn't really know this, is that um, when you donate used textiles, some of it obviously gets sold at places like Goodwill. Some of it gets, the that's the better product. Some of it gets containerized and sent to developing countries mm-hmm. kind of around the world. The East African community, which is a group of countries, um, Tanzania, Uganda, um, Kenya, there's a couple others that are in this block, a few years ago blocked the import of used textiles because it was harming their um, domestic textile industry. So they had an industry mm-hmm. that was like, creating jobs for local people and and providing new clothes, they couldn't compete with used textiles coming from the United States and Europe. Uh, And so it was a really interesting thing to say, like, okay, what, what happens? Like there's maybe this positive of, okay, here's inexpensive clothes for people in, you know, really developing countries with a lot of poverty, but is that actually hampering industry from developing their Mm -hmm. jobs for those people? And so, these, the issues are really complicated when you get to um, well, Do you do. You ever,
0: do you think there's ever a future here where, or maybe it just doesn't make economic sense. So let's say for some reason we come up with some new way of tap, uh, unlocking all this, uh, all this clothing in people's garages and or, sorry, in their closets, you know, is there a way to do this local potentially maybe it's machining where it's like, oh, it actually makes economic sense. We could do some of this you know, manufacturing here. Or at least, at least getting the the product to a, to a, into a state where you could actually use it.
1: I mean, I think that the there are people working on that right now, and, and so where where you can mill it back to some sort of fiber um, that could be reproduced into a new product. I just haven't, and I've talked to a lot of people who are working on it. I've never yeah. seen it really were at like a scale. That makes sense. One of the things that our industry, I think, has a unique opportunity about is like I'll pick another. I picked Starbucks before. I'll pick Microsoft now. Another good (laughs) scale company. Like we sell a lot of products that have that get logoed with a Microsoft logo. They're launching Windows 2023, and everyone on the team gets a jacket. Well, they also have lots of uh, other swag that they've gotten kind of over the years. So everybody gets their new jacket. Well, what if they brought in their old jackets that could
0: get their Windows ninety five? I went to the Windows uh, I think uh, ninety. I was a Windows two thousand launch party, so I probably have a shirt from that.
1: So yeah, you 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 got your Windows twenty three jacket. You turn back in your Windows nineteen or Windows five (laughs) or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. Like there's opportunities to collect some of these levels, and then to be able at a local level to do the milling, it's got to be. It's just not. It's not there yet. The other piece, I, I think I shared this with you, that's been kind of interesting that people are working on is um, uh, being becoming degradable in terms of some of these synthetic products. And so, sure. um, you know, if you have a polyester T-shirt that ends up in a landfill, today it's there for forever. It's a, it, you know, um, if you have a 100% cotton T-shirt that ends up in a landfill, it will degrade over time. So, How long would it take a cotton T-shirt to... I, you know, I don't know. I think it's just a few years where it would okay. degrade, you know. And so what some of the technology that people are working on today is how do you make degradable polyester? So it will degrade in a landfill um, environment similarly to cottonwood. And and the, the guy who is kind of invented that, I was talking to him and I said, wouldn't it be better if we recycled everything? He goes, yeah, but if that's great. But if we don't get there, wouldn't we rather have it degrade? And I was like, okay, you're right. That was yeah. an interesting thought. It's like if it's not, and that same technology they believe can can apply to other plastic items
0: too, yeah. not just polyester. I, I, I feel like plastics, like I have the the one extreme. The one extreme is the uh, the the compost bag I have, and it doesn't even last a week. I have to right. double bag it. It's, I'm like, okay, this thing isn't. There's got to be something though. I think it's going to be the, one of the biggest innovations of our time. Yeah. That has, that has a plastic product that decomposes over X number of years. It's, it's got to happen. Yeah. Um, cause that's the issue with plastics. they just last freaking forever. That's right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so that there are, you know, really smart people working on uh, on this and actually kind of getting the point of commercializing degradable polyester, you know, yarns. So that's, that's pretty cool to see as an innovation at least.
0: Uh, well, good. I know we've, we've been going for a while here. This is, Really fascinating just walking on this journey to understand kind of what is it, these clothes we're wearing, what was kind of what's kind of the life cycle of them. Um yeah. maybe uh, before we wrap up, is there, are there companies like you were mentioning some of these interesting companies? Are there any companies that you're like, wow, these companies are really on to something that you think is is interesting.
1: You know, I'm not sure there's one specific one that comes to mind for me. I think when I think about the clothing supply chain, there's a lot that we think about. So we think about like um, the kind of social responsibility around human rights and, and rights of the people who make our products around the world, um, you know, and that even goes to the, you know, farm level when we think about things like forced labor in China and, and you know, Chinese cotton, so like, there's really com- a lot of complexities in this supply chain around compliance. And I think we think a lot about sustainability and how do we make our products? We, we at Sandmar at least believe it's a business imperative for us to do that. And we're on a journey. We're not there by any means, nor do we even have all the answers, but it's mm-hmm. something that we're focused a lot on. Then I think it's how do you actually get consumers to make great choices around product that's going to last and that they're going to wear. Cause I think that's something that's, um, you know, really important. But I think that what's exciting to me is that, we believe, I believe strongly that this industry can be used as a really, uh, we call it a canvas for good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and I've seen that with our ability to invest in the people and the communities or we make product around the world, and what we can do both from an environmental and social perspective, like in those communities uh, is, is really exciting. So I think apparel done the wrong way is a real global problem and apparel done the right way is a real kind of force for good. And, and we try to be on that side of it. We're not perfect by any means. And, um, but we, we try to work really hard at that. And I've seen that play out um, as I spend time visiting factories and communities around the world where we make product.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's great that sanmar and you're, and mm-hmm. you're thinking about this at a, like a, a systemic level of, every little area for efficiency and it just happens to be good for business. And I hope, you know, you continue to just advocate with the Nikes and the big companies in the world. Cause I think, I mean, that's what it's going to take. If these companies can make it cool and hip to create kind of really interesting sustainable products, I think a lot of other brands will will follow.
1: I, I, I think so. I mean, uh, and, and truly I, my conversations with these brands, I think they're, they are, uh, at least the brands we work with, I think they're moving in that direction. Um, I think we're all still trying to figure it out as an industry, um, how to do it, but I think everybody's working really hard at it, at Mm -hmm. least the, 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 the great, you know, brands that kind of, we all love. I think that, um, again, there's, there's that other side of it with fast fashion and some of those things. Um, and I get it because I get that we want to wear like the new cute, cool, whatever, thing that just came out and I think that's why and fashion's fun that way and it's exciting that way and so I think that um how we balance those two things is just going to be really important as a
0: as a society as a country as a, as a world maybe so sometimes it just create an awareness I mean little things I'll, I'll give you one one more example for a wrap up is uh, my, my kids uh, my, my wife always when my kids are a lot younger was always purging all their stuff I mean you have kids you know how it's right. just it's like what, what is all this stuff that's just entering our house and uh, we'd always have this pile of the McDonald's Happy Meal toys. Right. And it was just disgusting. And one day I came in yeah. from work. I'm like, what is this? And here's my wife sitting in like a sea of McDonald's toys. And so I just, I can't do this anymore. So i grabbed got her kids at the time, which were, I don't know, maybe like four and like six or seven. And I said, how long do you play with these toys when you get them? And right. they're like, maybe like 30 minutes, an hour. So where do you think they go? Like, like we're not selling these anywhere. They just end up in the trash. And I said, do you want to keep buying Happy Meals? Right. And ever since that day, they stopped. They still, still buy McDonald's. Right. They just don't buy the Happy Meal anymore. Yeah. So there's little things like that. I I hope that people just step back sometimes and look at it and go, oh, was that, (laughs) was that cheap Happy Meal toy really giving me joy? Okay. I'm going to just, it's not the right thing for me anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Your kids
1: at that age were certainly more thoughtful than maybe my children. It's only, but it was <laughs> only because we showed
0: them the ocean of it, and they were all, yeah. we were all kind of grossed out. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but it's no, but you're right. I mean, it, it is the right way to, to to think about it. And and look, we are a consumer driven, you know, society, and I think that um, you know we all need to be somewhat reflective of the, of the choices that we make and what we buy, for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot, Jeremy, for taking some time and just educating us. And like I said, this is kind of a new a new journey for me, and I hope that uh, people are just, you know, watch this and are a little bit more enlightened on uh, the clothing clothing that they're wearing, and I think it's great what your, what your company's doing.
1: Uh, well, my pleasure. Thanks, Nick. I appreciate you having me.